Good morning. Welcome to the manual. Hope you had a great week. I had a fantastic week, but I am so, so tired. My, you can probably hear it in my voice. My, my body is, is, uh, is tired. I had a great week of working out, but with the temperatures being, I think it's the 13th or 14th day here uh, in the 90s. Um, I'm off for hot weather, but I need a break from it. So today I'm just going to relax and detox and kind of do some reading, um, cleansing out of my system, might do some meditation and things of that nature. So today I want to talk about recovery, uh, what I do for recovery, what you should be doing for recovery um, and the like. And when I say recovery, um, it's different types of recovery. Uh, passive is, is what I go for, which means that it's little to no activity, but there is, if I do little, it is something very light, as such as walking um, versus uh, anything all out. Because all week I've pretty much trained, with the exception of Sunday. Sundays is a complete day of rest, um, just because I just like to give the respect to uh, having a day where I don't do anything at all. Meaning I don't walk, I don't run, I don't do anything. I might do, you know, I run errands or life stuff but when i when it comes to my fitness life your fitness life you need to understand that your body tells you when it's when it's tired when it cannot put out anymore even if you're fueling it even if you're rehabbing even if you're you know killing it um your body has thresholds where it says okay cleave enough for today or enough for this week we gotta shut this down so today is going to be one of those days where I pretty much just kind of uh, cleanse my system. Uh, and when I say system, I'm speaking not of the only of the physiological system, but I'm going to try to cleanse my mind um, and kind of put my mind through the gym process, so to speak. You guys have heard me mention this before. And what I'm talking about is that some type of meditation and maybe a brain game or some just some light reading. And when I say light reading, um, what I'm reading right now um, is a uh, concoction of things. Um, I'm reading a book called Power Eating. It's a um, book I picked up and it's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Um, Power Eating is it's in its th- third edition. It's by a uh, author. Her name is Susan Kleiner. She's a Ph.D. in R.D. And she's... Um, She's talking about how the athletes feel themselves. Um, and I kind of adhere to this uh, mantra even before I got this book is that the way you train, you feel, you feel yourself different. And what I mean is that if you're training to be a bodybuilder, your diet regimen will be different from someone who's running a marathon or some kind of, some type of endurance race. You also... Um, you know, if you're eating to lose weight, there's a different way of eating as well. Okay. Um, even like a bodybuilder is probably one of the worst things you can imagine. Um, and it's like an oxymoron because these guys and, and girls look incredible on stage. But what it takes to get there is ridiculous. There's a quote, I think, um, Mike Tyson um, said one time. And yeah, Mike Tyson is actually a very, very smart dude. Uh, we just look at him as a brute and looked at him like that through the years of coming up watching him but the guy's actually saying a lot of philosophical things and what he says that it take it took a lot of violence um to be this humble and that's a crazy statement because uh bodybuilding is just that it's it's violence on your body it's these mindless reps it's this eating um a, a non-variety of foods to nauseam 
You know what I'm saying? It takes a lot out of you psychologically. It takes a lot out of you, you know, physically. So I tell people that if you're looking to do whatever, whatever your goals are, you need to understand how to set that up, how to how to set your eating up to kind of get there, because there are no two diets that are the same. And I implore you to look at your goals and align them with how you're going to eat, how you're going to feel yourself. Uh, all of them, uh, with the session of bodybuilding, hydration is a very big key. And the reason I say bodybuilding doesn't have a lot of hydration, do your studies on it. Because in order for these people to look as lean as possible, they take diuretics and they also um, they, they don't take a lot of water in. Uh, their system is void of that, which is very dangerous because we've all seen uh, stuff on stage where guys have guys and girls have fell out because of exhaustion and dehydration, which are two really, really bad things to do. Uh, the other book I'm reading is a book by Martin McKenzie and Stephanie Kirchner. Uh, it's called Total Knockout Fitness. And it's a basically like a um, and because I, I love this stuff. It's a fighter's kind of um, routine. Uh, so training in a fighter sense, training um, in, in different arts of like kickboxing, boxing, uh, judo, things of that nature. I'm not a big fan of grappling per se, but I do like I do enjoy uh, the different things. Funny thing, like, you know, I'm a huge boxing fan, always will be, always has been. Um, I really recently got into MMA and um, again, I, it's very hard for me to watch women fight in MMA, uh, let alone boxing, because I just think a beautiful, beautiful person, um, just being destroyed by fists and kicks and feet. Uh, I just, I just can't wrap my head around that just yet, but, um, getting into watching it. Um, I actually even have a video game that I play, um, and I'm interested in the mechanics of how they train. And stuff like that So um, when people say Martial arts doesn't work in the real world <laughs> um, Go try fighting somebody Who's trained in, in Muay Thai Or in you know BJJ Or something like that it, That stuff works That's that's real action That's real time destruction So, um, But the training for it is pretty cool I have a certification in MMA um, It's called the MMA CS And it's through NASM The National Academy of Sports Medicine um, I sat this exam probably about three years ago and did the, uh, the curriculum about, you know, four years ago. And so what the MMA certification is, is that it's, it's I can run like boot camps, I can run fight camps and things like that. One of the trainings that a lot of people that I have um, that have hired me to do is fight training and not to be in a fight. So that's not. I'm not advocating self-defense or, or kind of pushing that agenda, but training your body like a fighter. It's a it's a very rigorous type of training. So the cardio is kind of built into it versus being broken out. And what I say um, is that a lot of people have um, different schools of thought about basically, do I do my cardio before or after lifting? That's up to you. If you don't really know what works for you because you've been told in the past, oh, do your cardio first, then go lift or do do your lifting, then finish with cardio. You've been told that. But if you did it for yourself and offshoot it, uh, offset it, you'll find out what works for you. And what I say about that is like take one week and just do your cardio first. All right. And then next week, do it, do it after and see how you feel if your body can make that adjustment to what you're doing, because a lot of people's um, their version of this 
um, for speaking to them uh, in intake, when we do intake for a new client, uh, what they consider cardio is not what cardio is. Uh, for instance, I had a client mention to me, well, she asked me, you know, does is walking cardio? Yes, walking is cardio. Um, vigorous, you know, not walking like you're walking in, in the mall, window shopping. No, it's not cardio. But walking, power walking, that's cardio. You know, getting out, extending your gait a little bit and, you know, finding a hill or two. So elevation, going down, uh, that's walking. That's cardio. Okay. So some people think of cardio being, you know, a light walk uh, and then they're done. No, you should actually switch that up. You should actually do things that are cardio based. You know, take a take a boxing conditioning class, take a kickboxing cardio class at your gym. Uh, most gyms have these free or um, these programs built into their into their structures where you know you can take that. I teach a class called Fierce. It's a uh, cardio kickboxing class. I was able to create content for. It's one of the things I love about my job is that I can create this content and I can scale it. Um, if you have a if you have a trainer, scaling is very important that they can actually he or she can actually scale your workout because <clears throat> there's days when you might not feel like pushing as hard because you may have not slept well, you may have have had a bad week, you may have um, you know just an ailment coming on, sickness coming on, and you're just not feeling like yourself. Now we you know in asking these questions when you come in, hey Bob, hey Jan, hey Mike, how you feeling today? We're gonna you know get ready to get our workout on. If they say to you, hey, Cleve, I don't, man, I haven't slept like for three days really good. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, so for, for us not to waste the hour, this is what we're going to do today. And I can totally switch the program up. I'll just make a notation in his program or her program that we did not do what we're supposed to do because we had to make an adjustment. That is that, you know, but if you're really out of it, if you're, if you're actually sick, um, I would not recommend working out. I would tell you, hey, listen, you know what? Let's 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 reschedule it um, for another day. Go home and get some rest, you know, because that's very important. You know, it's not it's not for the sake of profits. It's, it's safety. Safety protocols are in place for a reason. So I definitely want to do that. So total total knockout fit is what I'm reading. It's actually pretty cool so far. Um, as people that know me, I have like ADD, so I don't stick to one thing. I can read four books simultaneously. I know it sounds weird, but I just don't, um, you know, I, I just can't stick to one thing. Most things that I do, I do a lot of the same things. I play multiple games, um, and I have the attention span of a six-year-old sometimes. <laughs> so forgive me. All right. Another book that I'm reading is called The Superfoods um, Rx Diet. And it's basically by a book by Wendy Bazillion. She's also a uh, doctor. Um, she has a master's and she has she's a registered dietitian. And then the, the co-author is Stephen Pratt and Kathy Matthews. This book is actually pretty cool because it actually lays out a few dietary uh, approaches to things. Um, I'm not um, a person that uh, I, I would say colors within the lines, so to speak. But getting reading these books gave me ideas on what I can do because uh, I personally, and this is a personal thing here, I've just got to put that out into universe. I personally don't believe in diets per se. Um, I believe in recommendations on things that you can do. Uh, I believe in food hacking, and I also believe in, 
you are what you eat. So if you have a diet, air quotes, that is consistently filled with, you know, saturated fats and fried foods and um, sugar-laden drinks and things of that nature, it doesn't matter if you go to the gym or not. It doesn't matter. You're not going to see any results because what you're eating is counterintuitive to what you're trying to do. Your body is saying, hey, you're pushing me to do this, but you are fueling me with this. This is not going to work at some point. So I tell people, I implore you to definitely look at what you're eating. Um, I gave you guys a homework assignment last week, and hopefully some of you did it. If you didn't, try to do it. Write down what you eat. Be as honest as possible. Whatever you put into your mouth, write it down, and you'll get an idea. You'll get the 34,000 view of what your diet looks like, of how you're eating. And it's it's scary because the first couple of times I did it, I, I noticed some really weird trends, and I also noticed some consistency. Uh, consistency of certain things I'm like wow So every time around this time I have this particular food Is that a mood thing? Is that a uh, You know uh, Just condition to do that? Is that prior to my workout? Do I think that it helps with my workout? Or what? My body's like I wasn't in tune with my fit life You know my, You know everyone has a And this is my belief Everyone has their You know their regular lifestyle That they live uh, your, your job Your work might kind of bleed into that in in some kind of way where you work a job where you're social you have to be social a lot um my last gig was like that and that kind of bases everything in in line for you how you eat when you eat because if you're a social person meaning you work a lot of glad handing politician type style stuff where you're out out and about shaking hands a lot flipping cards you're you're eating probably later in in the evening and you may not even notice that on some level, you know, but if if you're in tune, if you're in tune with your fit life, if you incorporate your fit life into your regular life, you'll see some changes. You'll see some habits that need to be formed or broken. OK, and when I say that, what I'm basically saying is that you have to understand that you just can't jump in and out of your fit life. Your fit life is what it is. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your routine. It's a part of how you, um, how you form things, how you formulate your baseline, your measurements are based on that. If you have a job, if, and I always, I always say this to, to people that are like chefs and stuff like that and cooks, sorry, if you hear me shaking stuff, I'm actually, um, preparing something to drink. Um, those type of things, those type of jobs are very, very dangerous because, again, you are what you eat. You're tasting a lot. So by the time you sit down to have a meal, you've had several little small meals throughout the day. So you're not even probably that hungry at that point. You're probably just like, oh, my God, you know, I'm just eating uh, mindlessly. And you're doing this a lot. And again, being a being a chef, you could be talking about a chef that makes entrees. And appetizers or a chef that makes desserts, which I don't even know how that would work because you're tasting sugar uh, and sweets all day long. It's crazy. So, you know, um, I tell people kind of, you know, incorporate your lives together. You know, everything is everything. Everything encompasses, you know, Um, some of us are able to turn certain things off in our lives and turn things on. Uh, For those who cannot do that, there is there has to be some kind of control mechanism in place where you know okay the weekends i'm with the boys and we're going to be watching a lot of football or whatever 
and I have to, you know, I'll be drinking and I'll be eating crazy or whatever. So you have to know that if you're in a fit life situation, then you have to change that. You have to say, okay, well, maybe Saturday I'll cut loose or Sunday, but I can't do it both days. You know, and I'm not anyone's judge your execution. And what I'm basically saying to you is that you have to understand your limits. Um, we have everyone likes to indulge, you know, so, you know, no one's immune to what that stuff is. But you have to understand is that you you are what you eat. I'm going to keep saying that to you guys. So that sinks in. You are what you eat. If you are again, if you're thinking that you're killing it in the gym all week and you might be doing your best work. But if you're not eating good, then it's for nothing. It, it really is for nothing. So um, think about that the next time that you're that you're planning one of these, you know, weekends where you kind of just, you know, go off the go off the edge. Now, for me, Sundays is my day of, of reckoning. I just do whatever um, for the longest. It's my rest day. I don't count calories. I'm not a really big ca- calorie counter to begin with, but I just it's kind of my day to just not just to kind of be a regular Joe Schmo. <laughs> so that's my that's my thing. Um, the other book that I'm um, into reading right now, it's actually uh, it's called um, it's actually a really weird long title, but it's called Kick Your Sugar Addiction for Life and Get Healthy Sugar Savvy Solutions. It's uh, it's by a group called the High Voltage. Um, they they founded a uh, situation called Energy Up. Uh, it is a it looks like it's written for women and not to single anyone out uh, because of just how the book is set up. Uh, it talks a lot about just our sugar, addic- our sugar addiction and how we can conquer it, conquer those cravings. Because, again, the manufacturers, uh, and it's not everyone's fault, they create these substances and things to preserve and sweeten. And our minds kind of get hooked on this stuff. You know, our bodies is hooked. The body can't break it down, but the mind keeps wanting more and more of it because we're tricked into drinking and eating and and, and embracing uh, this stuff as comfort food or whatever they want to call it under the guise of. But, you know, I'm a I'm a cart watcher, people watcher at um, at my heart, but I also watch the cart. And what that means is that when I'm in a, a Walmart or a Target or a giant supermarket or uh, Harris Teeter, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, I look at people's cart when we're online or I look at what's on the belt as they're checking out and I kind of get some really good ideas about who this person is. Not judging them to say, oh, this person is this because they can be shopping for someone else. But what I'm saying is that what they're buying, right? And usually in places like Walmart versus Whole Foods, you'll see a lot of different things. You'll see a lot of carts with a lot of sugary drinks, a lot of things like that because Walmart, their price point caters to someone who is is budget savvy uh, where Whole Foods is not. Whole Foods is, you're going there with, with, you know, you'll get two bags for like $200. It's like crazy. So a lot of things that people are buying, I look at, especially if they have children, which I, I definitely look at to say, well, how are they starting this person's life off? Um, many of you have heard me mention this. And if any of my clients are listening, because you guys listen, thank you for, for doing that. A lot of people, um, how can I say this without sounding crazy? Uh, we all have a relationship with food. It starts when we're a little kid. And when I say like a little, I'm like toddler age. Um, watch a toddler. 
and you'll see like certain foods and when you try to put put it to them with a little, you know, little spoon or a sippy cup or whatever they'll either embrace or they'll push away okay every time you, you serve them the strained peas they're like ah i don't want that but every time you serve them you know let's say uh some kind of sweet cereal or something like that then they they might they might want more they might just sit there and, and try to eat it all um so when i say relationship with food um this is my theory we all have we all make decisions on what's comfort food for us what's anxiety food for us uh what's food that is that is um that we know that's good for us but we don't like the in, intake for instance i use myself as, as an example i don't like cauliflower i've had cauliflower probably twice in my life and that was recently in my entire life i've never tried certain things you know you guys that know me um we can laugh about this like i've never had grits i think i had it one time and i just i'm a texture person i love texture <laughs> and it, it just was too granular for me i was like ah you know but it's crazy because um it looks like farina to me and if you know if you guys don't know what farina is it's like the opposite of cream of wheat um, and if you guys don't know what cream of wheat is, it's the opposite of any kind of porridge. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, the grits, grits has never really been my thing, uh, of the Southern diet. I'm not American, but of the Southern diet, I'm not a big fan of soul food. Uh, I used to every once in a while back in the day, I'll, I'll have something, but it is not one of the, the things that if I, if someone says, let's go out to eat. Uh, I can probably guarantee you that soul food is not going to be in that on that uh, list of where we can go um, because I like Mediterranean food and I love hibachi. Oh, man, eat that shit all the time. But, you know, when it comes down to relationship with food, I, I found out using myself as a barometer here. I found out that I'm not a I'm not a stress eater, but I'm a mood eater. I have to be in the mood for certain things to happen. Um you know, I just don't like certain things all the time. You know, I have to be in the mood for certain foods. And it's kind of weird because I can go months without something and then I'll, I'll have it maybe twice in the same week, you know, but there's certain foods I have to have a certain way. I had this conversation with somebody uh, not too long ago, like, for instance, using fish, for example, I can eat salmon all the time. It's no problem. Um, I, I've gone weeks at a time eating salmon every day. Crazy. But <laughs> um, if I'm eating whiting, which I haven't had in forever and kind of kind of glad it only could be fried for me. It, it, you don't bake whiting, you know, you don't you don't um, saute it over. It's 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 a fish that you just you put some some cornmeal on it, whatever, and you fry it up. That's the only way that I can eat that. Same thing with like catfish and trout, which I'm not a big fan of uh, either catfish or trout. But I can eat salmon any day of the week for the most for the most part. But it has to be dressed up with certain things: asparagus tips, or mushrooms, or you know, brown whatever. Okay. But my relationship with food is that I it I have to be in the mood for it. Okay. The other part of my relationship with food is that. I haven't really um, delved into how grief affects the way I eat. And when I say grief, I'm talking from maximum levels to minimum levels. And maximum grief for me would be like losing a loved one. Uh, minimum level would be like losing probably a job. And the reason I say that, you know, because you can get another job at some point. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to get another loved one 
at some point. Once their person is gone, they're gone. That's it. So how you deal with it? Some of us, oh my God, Uncle Ted died and I can't eat a thing. And they've shut down their system. Or Uncle Ted died and I cannot stop eating. I'm so stressed out. You know, people kind of fall in those generalizations. Obviously, I'm I'm using um, generalizations here. So you, you kind of got to feel where you fall into it. You know, if you're a person who reacts to everything, takes everything personally, you know, your boss calls you in and says, hey, Susan, you're not doing so great. And you get, you know, you get all bent up in your feelings about it and you go out and have a, 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 an entire pizza. And then the next day they tell you some more bad shit and you go out and have now a tub of ice cream and then you kind of react that way with it. You know what I'm saying? So, um... When you are angry, if you can remember this, write down what, you, what you've eaten. Or if you're in a really extremely good mood, you can eat as well. That's one of the most dangerous things I tell people um, from a psychological standpoint. Here, this is my philosophy cap coming on. Um, philosophically, I believe that when you're in a very good mood, you're agreeable to a lot of things. You are... You are going to take on things that you normally wouldn't take on because you're such in a good, you know, you're such in a good place. You're in a good mood and you feel like, OK, this is I feel great. But when you're not in a good mood, when you're in a shitty mood, a bad mood, then you're not agreeable to anything. Everything actually gets amplified or, you know, it's, it becomes loud and you're like, no, not doing that. And, you know, the rebellious side of you comes out. So, you know how they say <laughs> Well, catch such as in a good mood because you'll get whatever you want. That's a true thing. You know what I'm saying? And that's a true thing. It's the same thing with food. You know, when we're on vacation, the reason that we pack on pounds if we're not super energized doing all the activities on the itinerary is that we're we're in a good place. We feel relaxed. We're good. Good feelings. Eating a lot. Stuff like that. Think of that. You know, when you're on vacation, you don't go on vacation to be angry. You go on vacation to relax, to be on vacation. And I am a person that unless I've never been to Europe uh, and I hear it's beautiful and people go for the sightseeing and all that, that wouldn't be a vacation for me. A vacation for me is somebody's island, me kind of laying down (laughs) and just being a bum. I don't want to go snorkeling. I don't want to go, you know, and if I do, it's going to be it's going to be spaced out like, oh, I'll snorkel on Thursday or I'll do this on this date. But I'm not. Every day I'm not running on a schedule to do anything because that's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm here on someone's island to relax, to kind of just space out, zone out, kill some calories. Um, but I do work out on vacation. It's kind of a, a thing that people that know me, um, I'll get up in the morning early before everyone's up and I'll go on the beach and run. Um, it's funny that I can run on the beach, but I can't run regularly. I can't do any kind of running any other place but because I hate running. You guys know that. <laughs> Hate running. Um, so, yeah, my relationship with food is 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 a ongoing um, toward love affair. I would say because there's you know there's times I'm very I'm a very sometimesish person. It's kind of what we say back home where I'm from. You're sometimesish. Sometimes I'm into this. Sometimes I'm not. You know, it's kind of a weird kind of a weird um, setup and get up. But for the most part, everyone should think about. Their particular relationship with food um, I have this book that I got um, As a gift from Vitamin Shop um, Several years ago uh, Vitamin Shop is one of my favorite places to shop um, I haven't been in one in a quite a while Because of the pandemic um, So I shop online with them 
but uh, they gave us this book. They had an event, a health fair, and I, I like going to those things a lot. And in going to this particular health fair, this is this is probably about ten years ago now, or probably a little longer. Uh, they were celebrating National Nutritional Nutrition Month. I don't know when that was or when they picked their month for that. But the book is called The Pre- uh, Prescription for Dietary Wellness by Phyllis Balk. She's a CNC. Um, and she's she's um, she sold like five point something million books. It's crazy in her in her literary life. But this particular book, it's a very thick um big kind of like a textbook but it talks about a lot of um things that we should know about um it talks about the fastest path to healing ourselves through foods um how food heals prescription foods um the nutrition to good health like a like like a blueprint basically superfoods such as yogurt garlic mushrooms sprouts things of that nature and what to proceed with caution. And I love that particular set of chapters because it talks about um, things that we think is healthy for us, but they're actually not. And what I mean um, is like meats and dairies and things of that nature. Like I don't eat red meat. I stopped eating red meat in 1990. I think I was 16. Um, had my bouts with it. Uh, made my, you know, I'm not a vegetarian or anything like that. I just don't eat red meat. And I started to feel better over time. And within a year of stopping eating red meat, my my body had changed. Um, now, I was playing a sport, playing two sports at the time. And it did, I did feel the adverse effects at first because I, I took away a major part of my diet. But in the in the interim, I replaced it with certain things that I eat to this day. And I don't know how I was able to get off of it, but I could smell a steak cooking and it's nothing. It's I I don't care about it, but I had to learn about certain things, how they affect you, like caffeine um, and things of that nature. So that particular set of chapters is really good because it talks about sugars, which I mentioned on on an earlier um, cast about the names of sugars and how they disguise it in things. And you should read the labels and kind of understand, you know, that sugar, sugar by its, by its name, it's still its name, you know, by any other name, it's, it's still its name, you know? So th- those set of chapters is called proceed with caution. I think it's chapter six. And then, um, the last one is about specialty or unique nutritional needs. And what that is, is like nutrition for children, um, it's also for women and vegetarians and uh, the new vegan. Um, well, it's not new. I should never say that. Vegan veganism is new. Uh, the vegan revolution now is, is really becoming a lot popular because uh, as a kid, I never heard of vegan. I've heard of vegetarian, but I never heard of vegan. And I remember working for a, a woman a long time ago that was a vegan and her trying to explain her diet to me was absolutely insane because I was like, you don't eat what? Like, you don't eat. And everything that she did not eat, it was like, I don't even know how you survive because, you know, those things, I guess, are a comfort for some people or or whatever. So, yeah, this book is a very cool book. Um, I've never read it from pillar to post because I don't read like that. 
Um, certain books are meant to, and thank you, Robert Greene, for doing that for me. And, you know, that's one of my favorite authors, guys, um, where his books are designed to kind of jump in at some point. And who don't know about Robert Greene? He wrote The Art of Seduction, 33 Strategies of War, 48 Laws of Power, 50th Law, and Mastery, which I have every book except for The 50th Law, um, which is a 50 cents um, contribution to The 48 Laws of Power. So, in, um, you know, I've been reading Robert Greene's books for betterment of last 20 years or so, just about. Um, and he kind of changed how I read. I, I would open a book, unless it's a story that I have to read, you know, you got to build characters and you got to kind of feel where the story's going. If it's a, if it's an informational book, I usually just dive in at any, any part of the book. I open it up in the middle and whatever, but in, uh, in doing so, it makes me keep coming back to the book. So it's a control mechanism I talked about earlier. This makes me not read this book and then put it down and never go back to it because I have never read it from pillar to post, from page to page, chapter to chapter. I don't have, I just have these tidbits in my head versus the entire meal. I'm, I'm, I'm eating my small meals per day, so to speak. So, you know, um, when you feed your mind, um, we all read stuff that interests us. Um, this stuff is interesting to me because of the kind of work that I do. Um, but before I was a full-time trainer, I would still kind of indulge and read this type of stuff. Um, I, I used to read a lot. I used to read a lot because in business, when I was in the business world, um, that was one of the staples that any mentor that I had would talk to me about. It was like, Cleve, how much do you read? I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, I read for work. He's like, no, no. How much do you read? Do you read books that are that are conducive of what you're doing? Do you read books that are related to the kind of work that you do, the field that you do, you know, learning about things? So, uh, and my dad kind of also introduced me to that as a kid where uh, he had a saying, uh, unless you, if you're in a conversation, if you're in a conversation that you cannot engage in, then you haven't read enough. And I'd be like, "What does that mean?" And then I, I find myself at some kind of mixer or work event, and guys are talking about something that is so foreign to me because I'm like, "Wow, I've heard of that, but I, I, I didn't even know that's what that really was." Or I've heard of that, and I can engage in this conversation. I can actually talk to and speak to how I feel about it. And, you know, being a well-rounded person is very important to me. Um, It is very important to um, society that you understand things. Because if you don't, that's how we fall for a lot of stuff that happens. You know, when you're working in a job or you're you're voting for a politician and uh, they're misaligned with what you feel, you know, uh, represents you. You know, you have to understand things. You have to understand things about them. You have to look at their track record. You have to look at, you know, what they've done in the past. Because, uh, as they always say, a good predicator of future events is what happens in the past. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the narrative, but it is kind of how we judge and measure things. It's like, okay, you've done this. You've lied to me in the past. So most likely, you're probably gonna lie to me again. And they may not. They may say, well, you know what? lying to you the first time I know how that hurt you and affected you so I try not to do that anymore but it doesn't mean that they're not gonna lie to somebody else they may not just lie to you anymore so a lot of people need to understand that you know in understanding the whole you and who you are um, because you are 
I always like to say this. You are the leading man or leading woman in your own life. Like you're playing you in your own story. Right. Think of your life as a movie. You are the protagonist uh, of the movie. You are the leading role. You're you've auditioned for your role and you play yourself. You. So if someone's watching you live your life. You're on stage for them. They're watching your work ethic. They're watching your lack of work ethic. They're watching how you maneuver through the world, how you deal with problems, how you deal with adversity, how you deal with success. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I found very weird. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was searching through my YouTube universe. <laughs> Everyone knows I love YouTube. And I came across Mike Tyson's podcast. It's called Hot Boxing with Mike. Shout out Mike Tyson. Uh, gave him a shameless plug here And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be uh, I watched a couple episodes um, And Immediately, instantly I was hooked be- Not because I'm a big fan of Mike Tyson I always thought Mike was, you know As a boxer, like, you know, he was a pretty good dude You know, I, I think there When it comes to your goats, there are a lot of different Boxers I could name uh, With better records than Mike and all of that But Mike did, Mike was like, kind of like the era of like Ali, like, you know, if you grew up watching Ali, that was Mike to us. Like Mike was like that kind of champion where we watched him, you know, on and off the stage deal with his demons and that kind of thing. So Mike, you know, Mike represented a lot of that. So in watching hot boxing, um, it's him and a ex football player that run their podcast and they bring on a lot of different guests. Uh, I don't watch all the guests because I don't care what Waka Flocka Flame says. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that dude anyway. But in watching some of it and opening my mind a little bit, I'm learning a lot about um, people that I've watched on TV or watched in sports. And I'm like, I know I never knew these stories about them. And Mike has some legendary, crazy stories. But in all of that, he's actually uh, he reads a lot. He says he can't write. He says that he, uh, I think he went to school up to the sixth grade or something like that. And prison is actually, he says, what he attributes, attributes to his learning how to read and understand and comprehend because all he had was time to sit and think about what he did and how bad he was as a kid and all that. So he got to, uh, he's been in jail several times. So he's, you know, got his reading through that. He's used his time constructively to learn about things. And Mike has a very, Wow. All I got to say is watch hot boxing. Um, Some of the things that he knows about, I know about. And I'm like, wow, I never thought Mike Tyson even knew about stuff like that. You know, he's come into contact with so many things in his life. And he's lived such a such a crazy life that you don't think that this person is, you know, sophisticated, you know, in his own way. You know, in his own way, you know, Mike has. Some brashness to him, but he's he's uh, he's very philosophical. Uh, LL Cool J too, because there was an episode that they had LL on, and I didn't realize LL's family was kind of famous. Some people famous in his family, and I never realized, um, you know, his his love of reading too. Like he reads a lot of things that I've read, and I'm like, wow, you know, it's great to see um, black men actually engage in great conversation that's not always about sports because that's what you think you think that all oh, mike tyson hot boxing they're going to be talking about boxing you know mike is a very um he's a uh um cannabis advocate now and he has you know he has businesses that are that revolve around this type of situation and he's building his ranch or whatever 
So you think that the the it's about that, but he smokes a lot of weed in these things. So they're hot boxing, get it? Hot boxing, uh, play on words, double entendre. But he's he's dropping a lot of gems and jewels about things in life um, that he's experienced and he's seen, and it's crazy. So I'm saying all that to say this: uh, when you when you put together yourself, uh, think of yourself as a puzzle. You know, you know we we do the big pieces first. You know we. And then we do the details last. We get the smaller things in last. And life is kind of like that. You know, life is filled with a lot of big things around you. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's like you got to put the details in. You got to put the little, the little fine ingredients to make it taste good. You know, um, one of the things that that I, I, I like saying, I think it's Corey Holcomb, uh, comedian, I got this from him and he was like, don't let the smooth taste fool you. And I love that saying because it's actually when he said it was funny, he said it in a different context. It was funny as hell. But what I realized is that that can be used for a lot of things in life. Don't let the smooth taste fool you. You know, if something tastes incredibly good, it may not be good for you. Or you can make things taste incredibly good that are good for you. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when you put together who you are, it's 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 not it's not in fragments. It's big pieces with details that are going to be filled in later. Same thing as you're coloring. If you're coloring something, you know, kids like to color like the really big things first, whatever they see. And then they color the fine, small things last. And that's how our lives are. That's how we're programmed. That's how we kind of navigate. Okay, so today was kind of a talk, kind of just philosophical i guess didn't really mean to go into that <laughs> kind of um stuff but uh sometimes you know the spirit moves me to, to to talk to you guys uh from a different angle perspective whatever you want to call that so you know uh when it comes down to to who you are keep building um keep building that because again you know you you play you you know you play you and and, and you and there's no one else that can play you but you you know you understand your fears, you understand your your successes, your you know, what 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 uh sends you off on a tangent, you know, what puts you in pocket, you know, things of that nature. Cause, you know, we all are triggered by things, whether to to do that. I realized, um, uh, and I don't know if this is a, a, a old age thing, <laughs> is that I am um I'm an emotional person. I never realized how emotional I am. Um Things that get me sometimes are like uh, those videos of soldiers coming home that haven't seen their families in a, such a long time, and like they surprise them like a basketball game or something. That shit always makes me cry. What the fuck? I'm like, why am I why am I tearing up for that? You know, any sad movie where where um, you know someone makes a sacrifice for another person, whether it's the you know this that and the other i was like wow i'm getting triggered i'm getting emotional here what's going on sports movies obviously all the time you know the the person overcomes something crazy and and they do that um there's a movie i've I've only watched it one time is actually one of the 50s movies um it's called things fall apart i cannot watch this film man it is uh, if you've ever seen it, it it will trigger you uh if you've if you've dealt with sickness or if you've known someone who had cancer or whatever you know my dad had cancer uh, it is absolutely heart-wrenching and i'm like wow you know of all the things that 50 has done these you know these movies whether he's a gangster or a cop or whatever 
um, it was a side of him because I think that's the movie that he lost weight for. I, I think it was a time when we thought he was sick. Everybody's like, oh, if looks looking really light, he had a crazy regimen to work out for the movie to do transformation. Uh, he wanted to do it. He said that it was one of the hardest things to do because he lost muscle mass. He lost a lot of stuff. You know, we all know Matthew McConaughey does this. Um, we see Christian Bale do it. We see uh, Joaquin Phoenix do it for the Joker. Um, so, yeah, they transform their bodies, whatever, and they go through this thing. But it was so... It was so crazy because they want to actually feel like what someone feels like going through this. So, you know, we 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 have to live our lives to to understand that the way we are, the, how we deal with things on a day to day basis, it sets us up on how we deal with big, major life events. Like if, you know, if you were diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, or, you know, God forbid, how you're going to deal with it, because he went from being an athlete, a football player in this movie to basically um nothing and I, when i say nothing i'm talking figuratively and uh in his meaning of life like he all he knew was the violence of the sport and things of that nature so yeah um i might be able to watch that movie now but when it came out and when it was i i, I don't think i finished it like i got to maybe right before it ended and i i didn't want to end with him dying or whatever i can't remember what happened at the end but it was such a it was it was so jarring to me. I was like, wow, I, I, this is crazy. But so I leave you guys with, you know, be the best. I always say that on, in the beginning of the podcast, put the best self forward that you have. You know, you have many selves when you go into your closet and put your and put your, your day together, your week together, your year together. You're putting your best self together. You're putting on your best shoes, your best tie, your best blouse, your best shirt, your best pair of pants, your best skirt, whatever you're putting on, you know, put it on to put your best self forward because you may meet somebody for for one time. And that could be for a lifetime. And that's an original quote, guys, for me. <laughs> I've I've met people one time and they've either made an impression on me or me on them that we've known each other now for 20 years, 25 years, 15 years or whatever. Because we, we met one time and something connected us, something clicked and we're like, wow, you know, a lot of my clients have become good friends of mine now, you know, and it's funny because I don't have any friend friends, like I don't have any friends from my childhood that I can really say that's a, a good friend, you know, a good friend of mine that I've had forever. I've had like, I think I got like three of those people in my life where they're like a good friend where I've known them forever. And it doesn't matter how long we don't speak. Once we catch up, we catch up and, and we're good. You know, and we might go another two months without speaking. Um, but I always tell people, like, give people their flowers now, not when they're dead. You know, not, that's not my saying. That's a quote I heard somewhere that you give someone their flowers now while they're living. You know, give them the accolades and praise that they deserve. If you have a gripe with them, tell them about it. If you're in that comfortable space, tell them about it. Because once they're gone, you cannot go back and tell them about it. <laughs> you know, it's just you miss your opportunity. You miss your window. So, you know, always put your best self forward because you never know who you're going to meet, how you're going to meet, why you're going to meet and where you're going to meet. It's just kind of that that type of thing. So have a great weekend, guys. Um, I know we're heading into the middle of July now. It's kind of it's kind of crazy how it was just the fourth of July. Now it's about to be the middle of July. Uh, time is flying. So have a great weekend. Be safe. I think it's going to be um, the weather's going to be really, really hot some of these days in the weekend but we're also expecting if you're up north 
uh, we're expecting some rain from, I think, a tropical system forming or whatever. So be safe, plan accordingly, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for choosing the manual. Have a great day.